This is Manifest Mindset, where we delve into our true passions, inspire the best out of ourselves, and live our life with true intention every single day. All right, let's get rock and rolling, Nick. Welcome back to another episode uh, of Manifest Mindset. How are you doing, Nick? I am fantastic, Bob. How are you, my friend? I am doing okay as, as well. Why are you fantastic, Nick? You know, uh, well, first of all, uh, it's uh, earlier here, California time, than it is East Coast, so starting the day off right with you. I'm driving to a course, heading out to Pasadena, California for a Con Ed course this weekend, so it should be a good one, man. Oh, wow. What do you, uh, what Con Ed course? So it's um, one through my spine fellowship, more focused on some of the DNS approach and rehab um, from that, as my instructor said, it's very much a intro to it and in that there is a ton of depth to go in. But, um, yeah, we had day one yesterday, have day two today, and uh, good content. I'm enjoying it. Definitely some interesting, thought-provoking things, some new um, strategies to utilize in the clinic. Yeah, for, for those that don't know, and, and my, for myself as well, what exactly do you mean by DNS? When I hear yeah. DNS, I think of uh, in the hospital when somebody's about to to pass out or or die. <laughs> like, uh, oh, that, do, that 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 would be a DNR. A do oh, not that's right. Okay. All um, right. So yes, we are not learning about DNRs today. Um, hopefully, I don't need that today. That would be great if I didn't. Um, so DNS um, within physical therapy or the re- rehab world is dynamic neuromuscular. Um, I believe stabilization is the word that they use. And the strategy behind that is this was originally out of the Prague School in the Czech Republic and designed um, by an instructor, Pavel Kovar. And he was originally a physical therapist, more from a pediatric physical therapist. And he had some incredible teachers, Yonda being one of them, um, and, you know, many, many others along the way that he took a lot of their principles and kind of created his own approach to the human body, human movement. And he's one of those rare guys where he actually oversees an entire kind of rehab department. So down in the Prague School for Medicine, I don't remember the exact name of the hospital that they're a part of, he actually uh, is one of the rare physical therapists that oversees, like, spine surgeons, neurosurgeons, um, and other physicians as well. And so we definitely don't see that too often in our medical community where the PTs are actually overseeing some of the medical doctors. But anyway, um, yeah, it's a pretty pretty neat approach looking at some of the human body movements, looking from a developmental position from some of these ideal movement patterns that we developed from infant on growing up and how can we better integrate that into our movements today and learn from that to create better synergistic movements and disassociation to help us. And so I think for myself early on, what's been really nice is that I had um, my first clinical, my first orthopedic clinical, I should say, there's a lot of SFMA, the Selective Functional Movement Exam. And in this, they talk about, you know, some of these positions in an extremely bastardized way. And they talk about, you know, hey, you should be able to do this 
prone position, this role in that and all this other stuff that has a slight element of developmental sequencing to them. And so I had that clinical before I had my pediatric courses. So while I didn't love my pediatric courses in school, uh, what it did do was help create a pattern where I could say, okay, let me learn these positions, let me learn some movement patterns, let me correlate it to more of my orthopedic patients to tap into the neurological system within them and see what I can create. So for me, if anything, this weekend, I'm just I'm just getting more and more hungry, Bob, um, getting yeah. excited for what the possibilities are. And, you know, in some ways, this class is really just an exposure class to start to understand some of these things. And I'm getting excited by it. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it sounds like you're further out there continuing to to grow. Let me ask you this, Nick. I'm, I'm just very curious for myself. Um, since you're in a fellowship, since you're in you finished your residency program. You've been exposed, I assume, and it sounds like when we talk on these podcasts, you've been exposed to many schools of thought in terms of different styles of treatment. Do you personally subscribe to one school of thought, or do you more so have a more of an eclectic approach? Mm, that's a very good question, Bob. Um, I would say I have more of an eclectic approach. However, that eclectic approach has come from really taking a few approaches and really one at a time or in different scenarios, trying those approaches fully. And so, yes, the end result, and I shouldn't say end, right? I'm still developing, and I will be developing for years as a clinician. So the external appearance is in a more of an eclectic result and taking pieces and aspects from different ones. Although to truly test out all these different theories or schools of thought or principles, sometimes you've got to ride one for a while, right? How you're doing this residency for more of the McKenzie method and treatment and approach. And maybe you'll decide that, you know, hey, you stayed with that for your career. Maybe you decide that later on in the line there are other things that you add um, in different levels of emphasis. Maybe you pull in nothing here and there from something else. Or maybe you just say that because, hey, it's an approach that works really well for you and your patients and the demographic that you serve. So for me, I've taken a handful of different approaches that I feel like I know relatively well, not as good expert level by any means. Um, we've always got so much room to grow. You know, I'm, I'm privileged that I know so many clinicians who are head and shoulders above myself at what they do. And I'm just trying to close that gap and bridge that gap and get a little bit closer. And we kind of see I mean, some of the best of the best in the world and exposure to them and kind of what they're able to do and how they can piece things together and get closer on that. So I've had a lot of good examples where people have taken one school of thought, gone for a ride with it, and just seeing, you know, where this works, where it doesn't work, what the limitations are, people that I thought would be better served in another basket actually getting much better as a result of it and reasoning through that. So, Bob, my perspective are that all models, all schools of thought are wrong, but many are useful. Okay. Yeah. Um, You mentioned that you primarily have a few that you pick from in terms of what you use. I'm just curious, which uh, schools of thought do you mainly, I guess, just to practice from? Sure. Um, So I think... Let me talk in terms of the one I've, ones I've had the most mentorship in or most 
exposure from. Um, so I think probably first of all, having more of a mainland type approach, especially getting into some of the details of their subjective exam, getting into the process of reevaluating, um, of looking at specific movement patterns and looking at how to engage with patients. Um, so probably Maitland, as far as an overall school, is one of my larger influences. Um, taking a look at some of the Yonda approach, um, you know, some of the things from one of my mentors, Claire Frank, that she teaches a lot, um, that's been very helpful for me. And I definitely rely on that, and that taps into some things related to DNS a little bit. Um, I'll say I've looked at kind of more of the Canadian or even Norwegian approach to uh, manual therapy and assessment um, through some of my schooling at NIOMS and taking courses through them and mentorship through them, um, looking at more of combined movements and things like that. Um, I'd say early on in schooling, I probably had a more of a Colton-born type manual therapy education that was collecting that did approach from a lot of different perspectives. But having that as a background is something that I've had some foundational knowledge also. But then I'd say out east, you know, um, I think probably bigger Midwest and East Coast than it is out here on the West Coast, just for demographic overall, but some of that McKenzie method as well. So looking at those, um, you know, obviously not just repeated movements, but what are these overall movement patterns and how can we modify symptoms based on patient responses? Yeah, and, and for those of uh, – thanks for answering that question. Like, I was just curious, uh, but for anybody listening that has no idea what we're talking about, uh, it, it's mainly this this idea that when you go to ten different physical therapy clinics, every one of them or most of them would have a different treatment approach when you go in. Nick just mentioned five or six different schools of thought, uh, and many different physical therapists probably either subscribe to one or subscribe to multiple, or just do, do a whole eclectic approach. So treatment is different, but in terms of what a school of thought is, it's basically there's a pioneer that comes up with the system. And you correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but these people have their own system. They they do it. Uh, they kind of flesh it out on their own, and then they kind of teach other people uh, it as well. What well, do you agree with that? Like what a school of thought is? Yeah, absolutely. I largely agree overall. I think you know they've got their people with kind of their following, and um, you know I think certainly the better. The better ones out there are the ones that can adapt, right? That don't just lie in this realm of, oh, here's the dogmatism that we thought, you know, back in the 1960s or 70s or even 80s with some. Um, here's how it's continued to evolve with updated research. Here's how it continues to change. Here are some limitations with it that really don't hold self-evident anymore that they used to be. Um, so I think the better schools of thought are those ones that are deeply rooted in current clinical practice as well. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so it's an interesting thing to talk about, isn't it? Because there's just the half of the things you mentioned, Nick, <laughs> I've never heard of before, um, which is which is awesome to hear because there's just so many, so many ways to grow and so many, uh, I guess, places to learn from. Um, but, and then there are so there are so many beyond. Um, what I mentioned, but I would encourage anybody out there, right? Um, for anybody who is a healthcare practitioner where they are the primary provider, right? Whether it's physical therapy, occupational therapy, chiropractic, um, athletic, uh, athletic training can be hit or 
treatments, right, whether you deem yourself as the kind of primary practitioner or not, medical doctor, um, DO, I think it's important at first to be exposed to a lot, just like a general broad sweeping exposure. But then it's important to learn a system. I don't think the most important thing is to learn the best system or an amazing system, right? But stick with something that resonates with you. But then from there, can you actually learn that system well to see where its limitations are, where it does really well, and build those patterns up for yourself? If looking at, yeah. you know, the limitations of where things work and they don't, that's building the patterns right there for you to help you in your career. Yeah, definitely. Like, you want to find something, either a school of thought or a way to practice that just makes sense for you, and it's somewhat fun and somewhat fulfilling, right? Um, but there's this saying, uh, what is that saying? There's there's many ways to skin a cat, as long as you skin the cat properly. <laughs> you know? uh, so, so there's many different treatments treatment styles that allow you to skin a cat, but all right, you just got to make sure that you stick with the, the the way to skin the cat that one way before I, I, I don't know I'm losing myself again Dick <laughs> no that, no Bob it, it it makes sense right it's like hey if you've got one technique and you're like oh man I feel great because I've learned 60% of it it might not be time to move on to something else yet it might be time to okay let me get closer to maybe 90% to really understand and get the process down but then let me dabble in new ways because if you're just like, hey, let me start something, let me start something else, let me start something else. It can be fun to play with ideas, but also limiting in terms of the overall results that you're able to achieve. Yeah. No, I agree, I agree. Um, interesting. So Bob, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip the question on you right now. This is in the context of you're in a residency program that is very focused and very fixated on one school of thought, which I think is awesome for, you know, very early in your career, for first coming out, for getting to learn a system really well and being able to help more patients. Um, where do you feel like the McKenzie method, and not necessarily popularity, right, um, that's viewed externally, but from being in this program for an extended period of time now and mentorship before this and during, where do you feel like the McKenzie method has its bread and butter that are the patient that is absolutely best suited for it? But then where do you feel like it's beneficial for people that people might not yet know in physical therapy, right, that, oh, this patient population the McKenzie method can serve pretty well, but maybe it's not as commonly known. But then a third layer to this, what type of patients do you think the McKenzie method is not ineffective for, but struggles a little bit more with is a little bit as more of a difficult time helping out the best possible? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the McKenzie method, uh, to me and what I learned so far is, and, and there's still a lot more for me to learn, and, and obviously I'm nowhere near perfection with this system or, or understanding the full layers of it. Actually, when I got certified for the McKenzie method, um, the actual email or the actual thing for the certification is you accomplish the most basic competency for the McKenzie method by completing the certification. And that's taking all the courses <laughs> and uh taking the exam and doing the practical and all that stuff. So I've well, I I've uh, Bob, I think that's a testament, you know, to our healthcare profession and, you know, the quality that we can offer is, you know, we come out of school as generalists being able to help a lot of people. Um help them pretty pretty well actually. 
uh, then it's up to us to have the impetus to take a drive forward. And, you know, mastery is a, I don't think it's something that we ever achieve. It's a verb, and it's something that we can take action towards. And there are a lot of people who are absolutely incredible at what they do that set a very, very high standard. And I'm sure you're still helping out hundreds of people consistently with the level that you're at. Yeah, definitely. But going back to your question, for me, the, the McKenzie system, it's more so an assessment process rather than a treatment process. So anybody that comes in, we're just mainly focused on classifying the patient. If, they're, if they don't respond to repeated movements or if they don't respond to any sort of mechanical assessment, the, the McKenzie system brings them to the place where they need to, need to go. For example, in four four or five visits, if you realize that, all right, they're not really fitting into any classification, they're in this other bucket of MURS, which is basically mechanically unresponsive radicular symptoms, um, you can either function them to start helping them decrease fear, help them uh, do more tensioning stuff, get them back to function, or if you feel like maybe they need another person. So, for example, an injection or something like that to help speed it along. Because obviously we can't help everybody, but to me this assessment process allows me to move patients quicker uh, to the places where they need. But in terms of the patients that respond the best, right, uh, what we're looking for in the system is, is, again, the people that we're able to classify and properly manage through this classification system. So I, I don't think, personally, there's people that we can't help just because we're able to classify them and move them to where they should be going. Um, now, the McKenzie Method, one of the areas that I've been struggling with that I really want to, I guess, inc- uh, improve on eventually is more so the patients with the extreme fear and the, the high chronic psychosocial patient um, that are just afraid to move. Now, of course, and these people maybe have like an affective or uh, central sensitization things, patients like that, They, if they don't have a directional preference, they don't respond to repeated movement, they fall into this category of uh, the other category, which is more so an encompassing of different uh, classifications. So in that other, there's this chronic pain syndrome uh, group. That's, for me, a a difficulty level that I still need to work on. But that's once I finish figuring out how to really master the system of, okay, there's the mechanical people, and then I'll work on more so of the, the people that fall into this other bucket. Now, again, this is like a very small percentage of the entire population, but that's just one of the – that's how I feel currently, as based on what I know. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Bob, and I like how you're framing it. So that was more of my understanding, too, that, you know, a lot of these systems and ways of thinking, right, gets the assessment will influence treatment because you kind of cluster these patients, understand what they need. And without the strong evaluation that group these patients into the general categories where they belong, where they can, we can better understand how to help them and master treatment directly to the patient, that's the important part of it. So if there's a system that allows you to do that better and clearer to give them what they need and you know cut out some of the 
BS without me to kind of have this, you know, throw 10 things at them and hope three of them stick. We can kind of give them exactly what they need based on our assessment. That's ultimately what we should be there for. Yeah, and I, I personally feel like all physical therapists should be an assessor at all times, right? They, they shouldn't just Great. become, uh, all right, you're coming in. Let me, let me rub you a little bit, give you a little massage, you know, and then throw you on the clamshell. Um, and that's, that's the difference between a, a practitioner and a tech, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, again, there's many schools of thought. There's many ways to skin a cat. But I feel like the, a good way to skin a cat is, is as long as you remain the assessor and you don't cut off the tail, you know? <laughs> um, this analogy is going to is skinning a What is skinning a cat? <laughs> Wait, what, what do you mean what is skinning a cat? You just take the skin off a cat? Yeah, dude. Okay. <laughs> Why is that an expression, Nick? All right, you know. All right, moving on. Moving on. Well, we'll have to have a history lesson for our next podcast. Honestly, Bob, I'm not sure why cat skinning was so popular. Um, yeah, that, that's right. That's a whole other uh, can of worms or, uh, you know, nine lines to deal with there. Um, you know, we both got sexy cats in undergraduate anatomy, and that was the thing. Other than yeah. that, I can tell you. But no, I, I mean going back to this assessment process. It's for me right now. I'm I'm gonna go all in. I'm gonna see how much I can really learn from it. Um, going to the next step, finishing the next program for it, and then seeing if I can do a fellowship after that in the McKenzie Method system. Just learning it all out, and then seeing again, like I said, learning the system to the fullest. All right, and then I'll be seeing and dabbling if I could see if I could uh, further enhance the system or fill in the gaps where it needs to be. Uh, that's my plan moving forward. I, I found the system that I really enjoy using and I really love using. It's very fulfilling. When I, At the end of the day, it's, it's just like, oh, wow, what a what a fun, exciting day. Um, and, and to me, if I didn't have the system, I don't think I would have that, that throughout my days as, as a physical therapist. But, yeah, that's awesome, man. So that's just my opinion. Uh, in terms of how the system's working for me. But, but hey, uh, that doesn't mean that this system will work for everybody, right? Uh, that sometimes it just doesn't make sense to one person. Some some people may say, oh, it's a little too simple for me, or uh, it doesn't really make sense. And if that doesn't, then you just find another system that does. And, again, there's many different ways to skin a cat. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think, Nick? Do you want to add anything to that? I absolutely agree, Bob. You know, you've got to find – we all, many of us who graduate from physical therapy school at this stage from recent school have a doctorate. A lot have a master's, and some are, you know, back in the day having a bachelor's degree. And through that training, we all have a certificate. We all have a graduation. Now, some of us perform better or worse in different classes at the time, which doesn't inherently um, mean our confidence is above or below and of itself. Outside of all that stuff, right? Like, we're kind of the same girl that, outside of that, we all have our own interests, our own likes, our own hobbies, those things that resonate with us, those things that just make us feel like we come alive, right, that we're so freaking passionate about. Why can't we unlock some of that in our profession, right? And so for you, I think you're getting a strong taste of that. For me, I'm getting a very strong taste of that, too. And I think maybe that's what makes different things or different processes or the way different people's minds work resonate with different systems better or understand what's going on better is that whole process of, you know, figure out, okay, what makes me come alive? 
how can I help out this certain group of people better? Um, the days of being a, a true generalist are dead and gone. And here's what I mean by that, because I don't want to say that we should all be specialists. Um, if you guys haven't read it, there's an incredible book by David Epstein. He, he was the writer of the sports team, but he also wrote a book called Range, um, talking about the value of the generalist. And I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, Bob. So when we think about being a generalist and coming out of physical therapy school, we think, okay, we're decent at a lot of different things. We can treat a lot of different people or types of people or types of conditions that people have. And that's one type of generalist, that we can do decent at a bunch of things. Well, each one of us should play to our strengths a little bit more, right? Maybe for some people it's more of a DNS approach. Maybe for some people it's more of, you know, a Maitland. For some people it's more of another kind of Norwegian-based system or whatever we want to go off of, right? And we can play to our strengths throughout that system but then expanding from there. And so in that sense, right, we can very much be specialists and be very good at something. And that something might just be what that patient needs to help them, right? But the generalist part of it is, hey, are we so good at that and having a breadth of knowledge in other places that we can help any patient and whoever comes in our doors? Those two different things is that one, hey, what are we known for, right? What is the thing that we do? So we're not just kind of dabbling, taking things up here and there, but we can truly be a well-orchestrated machine, a catalyst for seeing the patient matching exactly what treatment and everything else they need directly in front of them to really understand what's going on and how we can adapt to that person. Um, and so I think being both a generalist and a specialist at the same time is absolutely what most people need. Okay. Interesting. Um, I, I'm curious, Nick, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Do you believe if, as a generalist, we can really treat a lot of general conditions? So, so let me let me rephrase that, I guess. So coming out of school, I guess, uh, being a new grad or, or deemed to be generalist in terms of uh, okay, we can treat a lot of different things. But really, we, we haven't seen a lot of different conditions. We, we don't really know. Okay, we know if we see somebody with back pain or something, we have a general idea of what to treat, right? But then let's say somebody comes in with, I don't know, uh, a TMJ issue. And you're a generalist. Uh, you, you've seen these before, but you really don't know, like, the exact specifics. So I guess my question is, would a generalist be able to treat a whole variety of different things? I, I don't know if that's where you were getting at in terms of you're specialized in one thing, but you're also able to look at many different things. I don't know mm. if that's where you're getting at, Nick. But I, I like your questioning, Bob, because it leads us to clarifying a few things. So that's kind of the, the normal understanding of being a generalist, right, is – I'm specializing on maybe a body region or a type of a patient. I'm more talking about, or like for a specialist, but I consider more for a specialist now is I specialize in this approach. I specialize in this approach where as long as you've got the knowledge, so let's say you haven't had CMJ patient, let's say you haven't had the exposure or knowledge to that, 
well, that's just a knowledge gap. That's just a deficit that you haven't developed yet. And how do we work on that? Well, get exposure to it, and that's completely fine. Um, and so a generalist should have exposure to all these. But let's say I am more of a DNS-type practitioner. That's more of what I tend to gravitate towards. And so as I do that more and more, you know, I can apply that to so many different patients. Or as you being more of a McKenzie-based practitioner, can you apply that approach to all of your different patients that you have where you can take somebody, right, who literally might have, let's throw something crazy out there, who might have a stroke, right? And can you be so good at movement classification? Can you be so good at understanding where the limitations are? Can you be so good at classifying and assessing this person, right, through different school things? You can still get a stroke, a patient with a stroke, better, right, to what they need. Now, you might not be as good. If you can reach 90%, maybe a neurological specialist who has been working with only stroke patients can get them to 100%, right? And maybe it's not quite to the same degree. But can you be so good at what you do that you can apply to so many different types of people and patients beyond what it might have been optimally designed for? Okay. Yeah. I mean, thanks for clarifying that. That makes it a little bit more, it was a little bit more clear for for me, uh, especially. But no, and I again, mean, I um, and with that being said, right, I think we should have a population we gravitate towards a little bit more. Um, I get concerned about some people who specialize a little bit too early. Who, yeah, especially if it's a very very niche population. Now, for example, if you want to work with just ACL rehab, right? I think that's awesome and amazing. And you can create a huge network to do that well with when you have your doctors, your athletic trainers, the team physicians, and yourself and all these different resources set up. Can you create a practice just treating ACL rehab? Of course you can. You can freaking crush it. But you better have some confidence with you that if you choose to specialize that two years out of school and continue to go that direction, that that's what you want to treat and that's where the majority of your passion is throughout your whole career. Because all of a sudden, if you are with a certain population for a long time and you go to something completely else to go be a generalist again, it takes a lot of momentum. It takes some uphill climbing in order to gain those skills back, in order to get the confidence back in other areas as well. Well, that's an interesting interesting thought for sure, Nick. Um, You know what? As we were talking about this, in this podcast, I, I was just thinking, wow, look how far we've come <laughs> in terms of this podcast. Uh, when we'll be doing this, I don't know, either we'll be doing this podcast twice a month or once a month, but two years down the line, we'll both be still, I, I guess, at the end of the continuing ed postgraduate work will be more physical therapist e than we are now. <laughs> That's even a word in terms of you'll have more credentials, you'll have more experience, you'll have more knowledge. And same thing with me. And I'm just thinking five years from now, when we when we meet up, whenever we meet up and we see some patients together, how much we'll learn from each other, especially the different roads we're taking in terms of how we're treating patients and how we're seating patients. I'm sure I'll learn from you and 
you'll learn from me as we Absolutely. look at each other and treating patients moving forward. But well, and I, Bob, here's the fun thing too, right, is that we, I think oftentimes as professionals, we can get caught up too much sometimes in this is what we do, become a better technician, become a better evaluator and stuff. You and I both, and for maybe different reasons, different things that, you know, maybe I only understand for myself to the nth degree and you do for yourself, we're out here becoming better people too. It's not just about chasing better understanding and knowledge or whatever, but you know, just on this general journey of life, right, and myself as a physical therapist, that's a huge part of my identity. It is not all my identity by any means at all, and so we're both getting after it. We're both chasing after a better life, and so while one of the avenues that you and I strongly pursue that through is being a clinician, for everybody out there who is something who has their identity rooted in many different things, who is not a healthcare provider, right, these things still apply. It's still getting up in the morning, have a reason for being, having part of your existence. Not that there are days you don't want an extra hour of sleep. Trust me, there are plenty of those for me. I've got a reason. I've got a purpose for getting up. I've got an understanding of, okay, I want to make myself a better person, not just for me, but for the world around me. And from a humble, confident perspective of what I'm able to do and who I can become. Oh, <laughs> you're giving me chills. You're giving me chills. I love it. I love it. Um, no, I think that's a great place to – do you want to add anything else, Nick? Not at all, Bob. All right. I think it's, it's a great place to end. You want to touch us on some accountability? That sounds great. Walk me through what you've been doing. Yeah, so I've been, again, really prepping for this OCS um, uh, exam, so the orthopedic clinical specialty exam that I'll be taking in – either February or March, one of those, end of February or March. Um, so I've been just reading through the current concepts, and let me tell you, it's, <laughs> it's very uh, very tedious. Um, but I'm getting through them. I'm on the wrist, learning all about the wrist. Uh, not here to become a certified hand specialist, but getting the, the basic knowledge <laughs> to, to really understand, I guess, just some aspect of the wrist more. Um, so that's what I've been doing every day. I've been waking up. Uh, well, I've been spending one or two hours in the morning just reading the current concepts before I go to uh, go to work. Uh, but that's still going to be my accountability. I think that was my accountability last time. I think I, I needed to look that up. It was to finish the current concepts for uh, the ankle. I finished that. So now I'm on the wrist. That's so the dense one, gonna... dude. The, the wrist is a dense one. The wrist is a dense one. It's uh, it's interesting for sure. <laughs> but um, be, my goal is to really, uh, every two weeks we have a study group for a certain body part. The next one is today for the wrist. And I still still have 20 current pages for the current concept to finish. Uh, so I'll be hopefully finishing that today for the rest of the day, just really hammering that out. Before my and Bob, is, that, um, is, is your study group something that you do with other residents in your program, or who do you meet up with to do that? Uh, yeah, so, so it's with basically the in the McKenzie Institute. There's people, there's diplomats, which is the next uh, level above certification, and those people want to pursue their OCS. So the residents plus the diplomats are paired in a study group and then the faculty of the McKenzie Institute lead through the OCS prep. Right. Uh, so, so that's part of that. Um, so 
that's uh, that's the plan. I'll, I'll finish my current concepts for the wrist and the CPGs of the carpal tunnel by the next time I talk, and probably the the shoulder as well by the next time we talk. Do you um, want to say pro- do you want to say probably? Or you actually want to lock in. What do you want to be kind before? I I'm gonna do the wrist. I don't know what the next body part. How about the next body part? I'll finish the current concept and the wrist by the time I talk to you. I don't know what the next one on the list, on the schedule okay. is. Okay. So, you go, do you, so wrist, wrist and hand for next time, and then dealer's choice for whatever one you want to go for. Yep, that's it. What about you, Nick? Uh, I like it. What? Yeah, so last time I was working on, just to continue a question, right, about, hey, am I one of the five people that I would want to spend my most time with? And that's been, you know, it's been great and thought-provoking to go through that. And actually, I had a patient of mine recently who I discharged that, I mean, he started throwing some rocky quotes out there and some motivational shit. So I'm like, all right, dude, I'll, I'll do something back, right? Um, so I told him about this concept. He's like, wow, I like that, man. That's good. I'm going to stick with that. Um, so just kind of spreading some of that, um, those things that light me up a little bit with somebody else too. And for myself, for my – actually, it's funny you mentioned the OCS stuff, right? I am currently working with somebody else to potentially create a OCS um, – mentorship program to create something where it's a condensed resource guide, basically helping people like myself in the past or yourself now or other people in the future prepping for the OCS exam where it's, man, it's a daunting task, right? And it's so much kind of piecing different information together and all over the place. And it can absolutely be a lot to do. And so trying to just, you know, help people be efficient with their timing of that and so that they can actually use their knowledge and time to study the things versus gathering all around for the different information and trying to guess what to study. Um, you've got the benefit of being in a study group already with people who have clearly passed to our mentors, which is phenomenal and exactly what it should be for that experience. So for me, my accountability will be um, to kind of work with that and other individual to draft out a very baseline business plan and kind of do a needs assessment of what we need to do for action steps. Yeah, I love that. I'll be interested in seeing what you come up with next. Absolutely. Maybe, that, maybe that'll be uh, what we talk about next time. There we go. All right. All right, Nick. It was a pleasure. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye.